Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, it is uh, Ursula Pottinger, and I'm here with Anne, and we are Be Above Leadership. And this is our radio show, and the topic today is Generational Brains and Their Response to Crisis. Um, and I'm here with Anne, and we have a wonderful guest today, and um, that is Lindsay. And Anne, I will let you introduce Lindsay. So we're with Lindsay Bacardo, and uh, I'm so I'm just excited to be here with her because not only is she absolutely an expert on generations, she's super down to earth. And what I love is that what Lindsay bring is, brings is what I would call a very integrated approach, which is there are some challenges of every generation, but there's also some strengths of every generation. So Lindsay's got a background in psychology and public communication. She's a professional coach like me and Ursula, and she works all over the country. She's nationally known as a generational expert. She works with the Indiana Supreme Court, among other organizations, and lots of colleges and universities. So welcome, Lindsay. We're so <laughs> excited to talk with you today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm lucky to be here with you. Yay. Well, you know, we put this out on blog talk because there's just been a lot of rumblings out there around, oh, the millennials are doing this and the Generation Z <laughs> people are doing this and what about that? Yes. And I'm just like just curious kind of what are you noticing about the different generations response to the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, we made a, like kind of a funny meme about this, me and my team, because we were watching when this first happened, you had the boomers saying, what is the problem? Let's just have a mumps party. Like we're used to, you know, we look at infectious disease as an opportunity to get all that through it at once. And not every disease is the same, obviously, but we see that. And then we've got the millennials who are usually like the um, yin and yang to the boomers. And the millennials are saying, we are at home with our kids. We're not on the beaches. The boomers are blaming us for being on the beaches, but that's Gen Z. Those are college students. <laughs> And then you have, like, the Gen Xers who are always the kind of the middle child. There's 10 million less of them, and they're just sitting there like, we're going to end up getting everybody through this. That's our job is to actually lead everybody through it. Because Gen X is oftentimes the bridge from the boomer mentality, which is very different around work, to the millennials who, you know, boomers are duty-driven. They understand that we give up um, – something for the greater good. We are here together. We're willing to work for a paycheck. We don't need a dream and a vision. We need to make money for our family. Then you've got millennials on the other end saying, I want to change the world. I have a dream. I want to see it come to fruition. I'll change my companies if I can have better culture and better friendship. Totally different messages. You've got Gen Xers in the middle, probably managing both ends of that. And you can imagine that's hard in an office. Even now, times 10, everybody's at their houses. You've got generations who grew up with the Internet, with generations who maybe started using email at 38, 39 years old. You've got everything that you need to stay connected is tenuous. You know, it's hard to get everybody on the same page. So I think the generational, the generational conversation has been fascinating to me over the last decade, and now it's just got amped up with going completely <laughs> sure. remote, you know, yeah, absolutely. Ursula, what are you kind of noticing out there as you talk to clients and kind of do your own scan? 
Uh, I completely agree with Lindsay and uh, sort of uh, I know you have done some research on this topic and uh, so did I and it was a really quite hilarious as I was reading this article by um, a Miami University professor who researches generational differences in regards to this crisis. And I, I really love what Lindsay is saying, you know, millennials, so those born between 1981 and 1996, they are really have a completely different perspective um, on this than, you know, for example, boomers or all the others. Now, what's really interesting to me on a personal level, when this first uh, arose, uh, I have uh, children that are sort of on the, the sort of that on the cusp between Gen X and Millennial, and it really mm-hmm. is so true. I was going, this isn't a big deal. Like, whoa, like let's keep going. Let's 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 wash our hands and do all that. But you know, really, let's not panic. And then I have daughters who say. Have you gone to the grocery store? Are you wearing your mask? And no, you can't tell them what's going to happen if you have to go to the gas station. And I go, so when I go to the gas station, nothing. I'm going to pump gas, wash my hands, and use hand sanitizer. Come on, folks. Yep. That's right. I love that. Lindsay, you know, when you think about sort of typical brain development and the stages of development, and even if we go into, you know, what changes in, a, in an older brain, how do you think that plays a role in just how the different generations are responding? I think that's so smart and to fold in developmental psychology because not everything is about generations. It's about how long you've been on Earth and what else you've seen happen. And then on top of that... Yeah. Neur- the neuroscience behind it. If you're under 25, your personality isn't fully formed. You, you know, the, your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. You, you two talk about this way more than I do, so I won't talk too much about that. But you can see that, you know, uh, and we talked about this two weeks ago, and a college student on the beach, it's not that this generation is way worse than other generations. It's, they don't have a prefrontal cortex. Their empathy isn't fully, you know, filled out yet. They're... <laughs> They're not thinking, gee, if I stay on this beach, I'm going to cause a pandemic where the hospital beds are going to be too full and a ventilator. They're not, they don't think that far down the road, you know? And so it's not about a generation being horrible. It's that, you know, or narcissistic or whatever labels people like to do on a whole entire people group. It's developmentally, psychologically, neurologically, you're not fully formed yet. So you're probably going to make decisions that are more self-focused. If you're under 25, that's normal. Yeah, you know, mm. I wanted to just weave something in, and I know Ursula's got something to say about this as well, but, you know, when I think about it, I think it was Dan Siegel who said one of the very, very last things that develops in the prefrontal cortex is something that is often called theory of mind, which is, you know, literally not what would I do if I were you, but what would you do if you were you? You know, what does a 45-year-old person do rather than just looking at everything from your own well, I feel fine, perspective. And he makes, yes. I, again, I want to say it's Dan Siegel because he made it really clear, you know, as we look at this development, that's one of the final puzzle pieces is, and it's part of empathy where you really go, oh, yeah, it's a different world for you. Maybe you are immune compromised or maybe you are 
78 years old and a little more concerned about your recovery. It's a different world, so I need to have awareness of that. And at 20, you know, at 19, 20, 21, 22, that piece for most young people is like that puzzle piece isn't part of their brain yet. That's right. That Mm. makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. A, it's a, this crisis um, is incredibly sad and um, challenging, challenging it is. It is also somewhat fascinating as we all look at how human beings respond to it. I also love what bo- both you, uh, Lindsay, and Anne are also saying. We also need to look at our history and our past experiences. Yeah. You know, millennials they had to put up with you know 9-11 and the recession and so they they have their brains have some context around how to live through a crisis and boomers certainly Mm -hmm. have that as well but then younger people they just don't have enough history and evidence and context yet to make sense of the dangers and what it means. So I think that whole cultural background experience also plays into it. That's exactly right. You nailed that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when I think about, um, you know, sort of the context that we have that then shapes maybe how much fear we have, and it's always, you know, the Chinese have a saying, the dragon we do know is better than the dragon we don't know. And so if I'm in a place where I just have no idea, it's a lot less, it's, a, it's much more destabilizing. And I think about mm-hmm. one of the thoughts that, that I've had through this many times is, well, I got through, te- you know, I've, I'm a solo entrepreneur like, the, like both of you, although Ursula and I also have a, a small business, but, you know, we're entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. you know what I have told myself more than once is, hey, I got I got through an economic a pretty scary economic downturn once before. I know I can do it again. That's mm-hmm. right. We do that all the time as coaches, don't we? We we help people resource themselves uh, with their past experiences. So when have you been in this before? What did you learn about yourself? Oh, I learned I'm really resourceful, or I learned that <laughs> I really love this and it's worth me moving through it, or. I learned that connecting to people helps me. Great. How can you apply that now? We do that as coaches all the time, and it works great when people actually have been through something similar. But you may be surprised even if you do, if you are coaching somebody who's young, ask them to, you know, find another reference point or who's somebody that you know has been through something difficult that you can talk Mm -hmm. to and kind of borrow some of their you know, their confidence. I know that's part of the beauty. If your parents are still alive or you have a mentor, I asked my dad, you have been through this before. I have not. What did you, I know the H1N1, but for whatever reason, I wasn't paying attention to that one. Um, but, you know, what have you done? And he said, it all depends on the virus, but we used to have mumps parties. We got, everybody got the polio shot. This is how we've handled it. And I thought, oh, okay. So most humans have you know, uh, been through this before. And even the doctors that are making some of the recommendations, I was watching a documentary this last weekend on the flu, the Spanish flu uh, from 1918. Mm. And some of the doctors that were weighing in on it, on this documentary, are still um, leading our country and explaining what's happening now. And there's that comfort in like, oh, you've been around the block a couple times. Yeah. They weren't alive during the 1918 <laughs> flu but they have seen this happen so many times that I do borrow some confidence 
right, from other people who've been through mm-hmm. it. And so I think that's an awesome coaching skill to fold in to help people resource themselves and to feel a little bit more mm-hmm. grounded that as much as we say the word unprecedented, it's, this has definitely happened before. Yeah. Not exactly. Yeah, and and yeah. even I love how you're saying even have people say, like, what other tough thing have you gotten through? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, having that self-awareness, how do you typically handle stress? I know for me, I tend to over-function. I shoot that way, and I'm just up, up, up doing stuff. And it's hard for me to sit still, which can be hard on my body. So whether it's this or something else, that's something I have to process. So even helping everybody on my team, I have a Gen Z on my team who's 22 and um, high school graduate, wildly creative, right? We have a different conversation than (laughs) somebody on my team who's 40 with kids. We're just going to have a different type of conversation. Well, that mm-hmm. kind of brings me to another question we wanted to ask, which is, you know, how do you think this is a major thing? And how do you think it's going to um, impact the younger generations, even what's beyond Gen Z? I don't even know what the next generation is. And I mm-hmm. was thinking even, like, here you are, maybe it's your senior year of high school or, you know, and or at any age in school, from high school all the way through college, where now you're going online or your school is shut down, all of a sudden you're homeschooling. What do you think the long-term impact is going to be? I think, and I don't know, I'm just guessing based on what I've learned. I've, and we've talked about this. Humans are wildly resilient and wildly resourceful. Those are two things that we can lean into that I can see in humans across the decades, across the generations. So I think that every human will have their individual stress response. And Gen Z was already folding in. Current high schoolers, they were already folding technology deeply into their social life, into their personal life. They almost have another language. If you looked at TikTok or tried to understand what is going on there, (laughs) you'll notice that it's almost like another language is forming. A new I have language no idea. forming out of this, right? And so yeah. technology for them is not daunting. Who is technology daunting for? The educators who have to figure it out. <laughs> but I think great. in the next, I think there's a great opportunity here. If you are a seasoned educator and you have the wisdom of decades of education, or if you're brand new but you understand technology, if there was ever a time to pull a multi-generational team together, it would be in the world of education for Uh, local education for elementary, middle, high school, but then also on the university campus, please get a multi-generational team together and say, what do we know is true about learning? What do we know is true about teaching, you know, teachers who, professors who've been here for a long time? And then how are we going to translate that into the new languages that Gen Z is learning and using every day? I think in the next five years, it will be common that people will choose, do I want to show up in person and and get the value of that, or will I make the trade-off today and show up virtually? I think that people will want the option down the road, and we'll have to figure out how to be uh, kind of bilingual or simulcast our life events, which we were already doing, weren't we? How many times have you seen what people are eating on Instagram? Who cares? Well, that's simulcasting, (laughs) right? Right. I think that's going to be the future of education. I think kids that will choose. Is cool. That, yeah, that's interesting. 
I, I think this is fascinating, uh, Lindsay, and it's, uh, uh, you know, I think this is a little bit of a challenge of uh, the baby boomers because, uh, number one, they, I mean, so it's, I talk about myself, you know, because I am a baby boomer and it's really, I don't want my kids or grandkids to tell me what I should do. I mean, I've been around a lot longer, consider myself wiser. So there is a challenge yep. there that as a boomer, we need to be open to what this new generation has to tell us and not get stuck on the, on that notion, oh, we've seen it all before and we know it all before. So there is, I think, a, there is a challenge there with the boomers to be more open and more flexible and agile as this all unfolds and not be so resistant to, you know, what's right in front of our noses. I think that's oh, I really think smart. That, yeah, I think that's so good. And, you know, you make me think of um, both of you, uh, you know, Years ago, when uh, Ursula and I were first doing programs and we were researching sort of best practices in adult education, and I had come out of youth development, and I started thinking, why are we making these distinctions? You know, I actually, you know, this idea that kids learn, and yes, their brains are still developing, but, you know, a lot of what is, makes learning sticky and engaging and really gets the brain firing you know, we should be translating to adult education as well. So I love this idea of the multi-generational that can kind of say what works best for everyone rather than this idea that there are things you have to do for kids and, and, you, and are optional for adults, like getting them really engaged. Um, yeah. be, it's because adults will simply be more polite about, <laughs> they're more polite about it. No, anyway, mm. so I think that's a yes. really, really great idea. That bigger universal humanity, like you're saying, what's the bigger picture? What does everybody really need? That's why I always point back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs because that doesn't have to do with generations. It's not were you born in 1967 or 1982. It's what does every human need? And then like you're asking, what makes education sticky? Those pieces aren't changing. And that's what I try to tell some of the CEOs that I work with inside their companies we're talking about, you know, you are the proverb of today. The, the wisdom has not changed, but how we share the wisdom does. So I work with a CEO, and I'm, I'm telling her, I will set up the Zoom call. I will get all the tech ready as a millennial. Then I need you to come on and give the exact address that you gave me because you are the CEO of this company, and you are forward-thinking, and you do have good wisdom to share, but I will make it so that it's going through the right communication channels. Like the proverb mm. hasn't changed, but how we share it may mm -hmm. change, you know, if it's on TikTok or if it's on Zoom or whatever it is. I think being open to the way that we communicate changing and trying to be aware of judgment around that, but knowing too mm -hmm. that humans are still humans. With, why do we still, you know, quote proverbs from thousands of years ago? There must be a thread of truth that always is true. And that's where boomers, I think, bring so much value because they have, way, they have collected so much more of those experiences, those wisdom-building experiences. And that's why we need multi-generational teams. Mm -hmm. And we can work together. Yeah. We're really calling it like reverse mentoring almost. Like, hey, I'm going to help you get on Zoom or figure this piece out, and I need you to snoop platform. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you how to do it. Nice. nice. 
I, it's like mm-hmm. what I'm really hearing here, and I, I so agree with it, is, is this is the integration. What is the strength that you bring from each perspective on this, you know, in this complicated world, rather yeah. than sort of voting for? And it's one of the reasons that I sometimes have a little bit of a reaction when we go a little overboard into, you know, the 30 under 30 who will change the world. I actually think that's great, and I, you know, love – celebrating that but I don't like it when it sort of ends up being the communication like you know this is what's hot and cool and anything you know older than that you're just old and dated and I really love where you're saying it's sort of the the process versus the content can be an amazing powerhouse combination that's right that's exactly right because there is a lot of peace once Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Lindsay. No, 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 go ahead, Lindsay. I was just going to say there is a lot of peace. I encourage people on LinkedIn to go interview their grandparents. If you still have, if you're lucky enough to still have your grandparents, interview them and you'll find that there's a lot of wisdom and peace in knowing people that have done this before. And that's why we have to have that, like you said, multi-generational teams where the content, the true wisdom of humanity has not changed the process by which we say it has. But this way Mm. that both, you know, no matter how much experience you have, you have something to bring to the table. And I think that mutual respect is a great uh, breeding ground and opportunity for awesome solutions where everybody is engaged. I think that is so nice. important. Yeah, the, the yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, we talk a lot uh, in our work uh, about integration, and it is really, uh, from a neuroscience perspective, it's, you know, brain integration, all the different bits and pieces working together. But the other thing that I'm seeing is, you know, and I'm as much uh, to blame here as the next person, but I used to really sort of uh, roll my eyes and have all that judgment going on about the kids, you know, texting instead of picking up the phone and talking and, you know, thinking, oh, you know, emotionally they're going to be, you know, stunted and all that. But it's again about integration. It's 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 not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, you know, texting and email and that is great. And there's also room for good conversation at the dinner table. So not doing just Mm -hmm. one or the other, but integrating it and saying there is value in both, so let's use both. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think as I was kind of trying to get a bit of a sense of, um, and, and I think Lindsay and I talked about this and Ursula as well, that really the jury is out about how much each generation is, you know, sort of wired differently. We do know because of neuroplasticity that whatever we do a lot, we get better at. And so if you start out with technology pretty early on, you're going to have a different ease and facility with it just, just out of practice. Um, but there, the, in terms of is this, does this mean a whole generation is going to be, what's the word, sort of technology um, there's a word for it, and I can't. Maybe you know it, Lindsay, that they that's been been using a lot. Um, I'll see if I can find it. Uh, the, uh, the technology, technology term is that what? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Native. Technology natives, mm. which then again, yeah. of course, is only going to be true in a certain socioeconomic, you know, developed world, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to be the whole generation. But I. So basically, what we have all found is it's too soon to tell. 
the jury's out, mm-hmm. you know, is this mm-hmm. really a wired different thing? But one of the things we do know is that it can be an addiction like any addiction, and any addiction can yeah. have its real downsides like social connection mm-hmm. and, you know, just depression and, you know, lots of things that can go along with that. So this was just weaving into what you were saying, Ursula, which is, you know, technology, what an amazing, in, in the middle of this crisis where at this point, and it's April 14th, 2020 today, you know, we are all, most of us in the United States are socially isolated. We're quarantined mm-hmm. basically to, to prevent the spiking of the curve and in, in, of this virus. It's unprecedented. And, you know, we have this amazing technology where we can still have human connection, and that's wonderful. But when, like anything, it's just like for some people, having a glass of wine with dinner is wonderful. Having six or seven and passing out on the couch, maybe not so much. So <laughs> I think mm-hmm. technology is the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, too, how much technology, and I don't know the answer. I'd love to hear what you ladies think. Um, I'm sure it's an integrated approach that you'll share, but how much does technology breed connection and help it and how much does it almost imitate connection yes or disrupt connection and almost fool us like a mirage in the desert i'm curious what your take would be on that Uh, it's a good question i have a thought and i'm sure ursula does too my 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 initial thought is that the research does seem to show that like working via zoom or connecting uh, electronically in some way is more taxing. It actually, we, uh, everything works better in person. Our brains work better when we are physically, we think better. Um, interesting, yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So, there, so if mm-hmm. you feel like, um, you know, at the end of, you could have been with people all day, but at the end of the day on Zoom calls, um, you're missing some of the cues we get through being in person, even smell cues, really mm-hmm. subtle perif- peripheral vision things that we're taking on that are telling us are we safe or not safe, all of this. We miss that when we're on Zoom, and it just takes more energy. Plus, there is a focus to looking at a screen that is different than yes. if you're just in a, cla- in a classroom. So yeah, I think that that's part of the the thing. Ursula, what else do you think from, like, how much is it just a a shadow of itself doing things electronically versus in person? Yeah, I I agree. I think it is definitely more exhausting. You know, Zoom calls, I find uh, two hours is about as much as I can take uh, because it requires just so much focus. Um, The other thing that I wanted to say, and I think this speaks probably to Uh, neuroplasticity as well as in what kind of an environment we grow up. And this is that when we have conversations via text, um, we don't necessarily need to use a filter, an emotional filter. We can just, you know, put in there whatever we feel like because we don't have a person in front of us whose emotions Mm. can feel so I think in the in the younger generation, this unfiltered uh, sort of texting approach has already created some harm. 
But I think it is, again, then also up to parents and teachers and mentors to educate and say, you know, if you want to, ha- if you need to have a, you know, tough conversation or a breakup conversation or whatever it is, you, know, you right. can't use text. You need to have that human interaction and feel the other person. So I think as it relates to emotional maturity, I think we can help younger generations by pointing out what it does. But I think that could potential impact um, of especially texting and using email too much. That makes sense. I think that's a really, really good point. And I never, you know, never thought about that, that this is then something because we have so many options in how we communicate, this is now something that needs to be talked about and trained and have people, you know, practice that. How does it feel if somebody says something to you abrupt on text? So therefore, what do you think would happen if you did it and really slowing it down and, and opening it up. And I do think that is something that, that hopefully educators are doing and, and can do. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Ursula, I want to ask you a question because of the people on the call. You have grandkids, five mm-hmm. and almost three, Two. right? Is that yep. right? Mm-hmm. Two. Yep. Yep. Two going on three, three yep. this almost summer. Three. Yes, going on three. Yeah. And, and you also have really, you know, just their, their parents are amazing. What are you seeing about how they're dealing with this crisis? You know, the little ones, what's the impact there? And, and what are you watching mm-hmm. in terms of parenting of these little ones in this in this time? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a that's a, a wonderful question. And um, you know, again, uh, it's it's so interesting to me how the stress level that parents experience have a direct impact, obviously, on those around them, and especially you know younger kids. So with both parents working at home, the tendency now to put the kids in front of the TV more than they usually do is just a self-preservation mechanism. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's, you know, when when you're trying to get work done, both of you with deadlines and pressure and you have laundry stacked dirty laundry stacked up to the ceiling and a two and a half and five and a half year old cruising around the house wildly, there comes a moment when you need to just uh, go to a, you know, um, as I said, self-preservation mode. And again, knowing that these are extraordinary times, we also need to give ourselves permission to just let it be as it is in order to stay sane Mm -hmm. uh, and then knowing what are the new norms that we then want to reintroduce when it's said and done and how do we, you know, generally come back to a more integrated way of living. And so this is what I'm seeing from the kids. They're doing the best they can. They're taking turns to play with them. You know, I'm trying to do my best to manage all that via, you know, FaceTime. But it is also often an emergency where, you know, patience just runs out and the TV is just a great babysitter. 
At least, at mm-hmm. least the TV is calm, right? <laughs> the TV's not Yeah, stressed. very calm. Yeah, yeah, it's a very calm TV, you know. <laughs> Lindsay, what are, what are you yeah. seeing and hearing about parenting in this time? Yeah, I think it does de- depend on the age of the child. So I have an eight-year-old um, stepdaughter in my life, and she can't necessarily use like an emotions wheel and say, you know what this is, guys? I am feeling overwhelmed. You know, she's not able to <laughs> always like verbalize. Like we talk about, you know, calm your amygdala hijack down, calm your amygdala down by naming your emotions. But what I right, see happening right, right. in kids and what the school system is seeing too is that they're experiencing physical pain, like stomach aches. Stomach aches are really common for anxiety in kids. And so you're, you're watching and asking kids, we're asking our daughter, how do you feel? What's, how does your body feel? How does your belly feel? How does your head feel? And try to tap into where she's at developmentally. You can imagine, again, if you're eight and we're like, hey, there is an invisible monster that is coming around and it's killing people. And you might be carrying it and you might not get sick, but it might kill somebody. So, I mean, it's just like <laughs> literally out of a nightmare book for kids, you know? <laughs> Oh my God! And so yeah, trying and then to, how, I think it will shape them too. I do think it'll yeah. shape them developmentally as they grow. This experience being out of school for a month—we mm-hmm. remember like one day snow days, snow days, and this exactly. is you know, yeah. And this is like well, a I, snow day in the wrong direction. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think part of the part of the thing, whatever generation you are, um, and and. Uh, I've got a question about like what is what are the strengths each one brings that I'd love to talk about. But I want to say one other thing, which is that Ursula and I have been thinking a lot, and Lindsay probably you too, which is how do we not have this imprinted? What however old you are, from you know zero to ninety ish, like how do we not then kind of take this on and imprint it in our bodies and in our beings as trauma? You know how do we come out of this? like ready to, you know, to, and fresh and, and okay to go back to work. And I think part of it, you know, it's hard enough as an adult with skills, you know, and with emotions wheels and things like that, much less a little kid is really hard to understand what's happening. And I actually have the thought, so <laughs> I was talking about this, that anything that you can do, so here's my little piece of maybe somewhat unvalidated advice is to get kids laughing and crying because it'll move mm. the energy as, w- as well as moving. But, you know, like watching a sad movie that is within their, de- that's developmentally appropriately sad, you know, Disney, whatever. But, ha- and then having them talk about how they feel about the movie I, and even, you know, crying a little, it will help move those chemicals through. And laughing, we do know, is really well validated that it will boost all of the, you know, good dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. So watching movies again with your family that make everybody laugh, all of that will help move the energy so it doesn't get stuck and then have these more long-term consequences. That is so good. Seriously, that is so important. Yeah, there was research out of Australia too, just with movement, the, the emotional piece is really interesting, laughing and crying. And then the movement piece, there was a research done on um, women, they were over 50, but they found that women over 50 that sat 
uh, for less than four hours a day and did at least 30 minutes of light to moderate exercise, take your dog for a walk, uh, were three times less likely to exhibit depression as somebody who sat seven hours a day, which would be very common right now, right? You walk down right here, now. Here. Pedometers are like, you've walked 26 steps the entire day, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> we're not moving. <laughs> the biggest move yeah. I miss is like, oh, my gosh, I got to go up the stairs and back down. Whew, you know? Right. But we're not really moving. Right. And so if you're sitting still for more than seven-plus hours a day, and if you're not getting that 30 minutes, you're much more likely to experience depression symptoms. And I wonder if that's mm-hmm. correlated to this idea of moving the chemicals through, like you said, and just we've yeah. got to keep some movement. You will experience these things. You will experience, you know, grief, overwhelm, and let's keep it moving. Yeah, yeah and I, I think, I think it's, then I want to hear from Earth. It's, can I just make yeah, one real ahead, quick Anne. point about that? And then I want to hear yeah, your yeah. longer thoughts. Um, it's, when we're moving, even moving in our own house or going for that, you're bringing oxygen into the system, which will help displace some of the, you know, maybe the um, adrenaline and the other, the other chemicals and hormones that are making you feel low. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Ursula, yeah. Yep, that makes sense. I know you've got yeah, something no, to say I, about this. I, uh, I agree, and I want to come back to, you know, kids of, you know, two, two, five, you know, preschool um, age. I think they just know this intuitively. I mean, I see this in uh, Kobe and Kennedy. They don't say, oh, I need to move around now. They just race around the house <laughs> like little <laughs> People, the parents are thinking, oh, my God, they probably had too much sugar and they're bouncing off the wall. The dog's in hot pursuit. They just know how to move that energy. So I think, uh, you know, giving kids room to bounce around outside, inside really will help. The other thing that I also think helps uh, safety and security in everybody, any adults and kids, is structure. It's like you know, mm-hmm. when kids are used to getting up at a certain time, getting dressed, going to school, doing homework, coming home. It's just there's a structure, and all of a sudden, it's a free for all. Well, that's mm. somewhat unsettling. So I think structure is a really good way to keep people feeling that it's sort of somewhat still normal, even if it isn't. I'm kind of cracking up because I think you're so right in whatever. Non, we believe, Ursula and I, we believe in structures that aren't rigid because rigidity is not helpful to anybody. But these, you know, but having some kind of rhythm to your day. And then I'm thinking, I started laughing because I was watching a video. That, I think it's the Holderness family. They're, quite, they're being quite funny right now. I mean, I think they're always kind of funny. But at any rate, one of them was they're just talking about, you know, like we want to have structure, but who the heck knows what day it is? And there's a there's scene where the... The, the wife, who's so cute, she's pouring a glass of wine. She's like, thank God it's Friday. And then she realizes it's Wednesday. And Wednesday is a dry day. So she's pouring the wine back in the bottle. She's not supposed to drink on Wednesday. And then, and then at the very end, there's a little tiny bit left in the glass. And she just very defiantly downs it. That's my favorite scene. Because I love it. we want to have structure, but what day is it? It's all the same. Yeah. That's oh right. God, that's so true. So true. <laughs> oh my God. So I want to ask this one final question, which is, um, what do you think? And Lindsay, let's start with you. What do you think are really the strengths 
that we maybe haven't even mentioned yet that each generation really brings to this crisis. And maybe you just want to go bottom up or top down and tell us what you see for each one. Yeah, I can tell you from, from a workplace perspective or from a, you know, from a life experience perspective, boomers have likely seen more examples, like we've said, of things that have happened similarly or enough, uh, enough that they can actually be the voice of reason and calm right now. Think about like the elders in a tribe. When do you go to them? When things are really bad, that's when you go to them. And I think sometimes there's almost a disrespect or like, oh, they're in, a, in the United States, we, we treat elders like they're irrelevant. You know, we just even systemically, we, they're in nursing homes. They're not with our family. When I look at other um, countries, and I'm sure you visited countries too, where all the generations live together, there's a peace yeah. in the home. Yeah. Because it's like mm-hmm. we've seen this on our times. So the one piece is that they have a longer history. And they also, you know how those old sayings come back from your grandparents and you're like, that's what they meant when they said that. That's what they meant, you know. <laughs> yes. I think we're all having those moments. I know I've had moments like that. Some of the phrases my dad says, like, hey, if somebody tells you they're, you know, a crook the first time, believe them, or whatever it is. You know, you're like, oh, <laughs> right, that's actually right. really true. And so I would encourage any generation to call literally the oldest person you know and just ask them, tell me how you think about this. What are you – and really hear the history of what they've been through and how this falls Mm -hmm. in line. So I think wisdom Mm -hmm. for for boomers, and I would say that in the workplace in general, wisdom for boomers, because they've been through it. And, yeah, we might – they might not know how to attach an Excel sheet to an email, but – that is not where the proverbs of life lived, anyways, right? So it's okay. I love that. I love I see, that. What about um, the ex? What yeah, about the extras? I see the extras, and they've always done this. And we kind of play when I do these bigger speaking events, and we all could be in a ballroom together. The extras, you know, typically feel like the middle child. There's 10 million less of them. They tend to translate between generations, but they really do have what I consider to be an enormous amount of empathy because they have to understand why the boomers are upset that leadership structure is changing and it's no longer top-down command authority leadership. But they also, you know, understand that millennials want vision-driven careers. They want meaning. They want purpose. And they really do. I have seen some of the Gen X leaders that I coach, they've stepped up to the plate and they've said, okay, I know how to use Zoom. I'm not distracted by technology. And I need to connect with millennials differently. I need to mm-hmm. check in on them mm-hmm. in a more um, personal way where boomers might almost feel invaded by it. Millennials are looking mm-hmm. for that personal connection. So I think mm-hmm. they're doing a good job of being the gap between those two mm-hmm. I love and being that. supportive. Yeah. And that's what they've been doing. So it's almost like we've all rehearsed our parts before and now we're just putting it all on a new stage. And here we are. I and love the. And a good leader is a good leader, too. A good leader was already finding ways to personally develop their team. They were having whole life understanding. They were understanding that they're, you know, people have a life outside of work. Good leaders were already creating influential relationships for their teammates. They were already making sure that employees knew their purpose and their job. Those are things that millennials want, but good leaders are already doing those anyways. And so when you think about a millennial, they're wanting to, what I find, what they bring to the table it's hopefulness for that this is 
Um, not the end. There could be a bigger story here. There could be a purpose in here. I think this is going to tip when we look at statistics around remote work. Millennials are the generation that uh, have really pushed remote work, and half of them report that they're already kind of freelancing. So remote work has continued to become a great strategy from a company perspective to recruit top talent, top millennial talent, because if I'm letting my teamwork remote, I can have somebody in Philadelphia when I live in Indianapolis work for me, right? So millennials bring to the table this wild flexibility around Mm. work hours and location, and that's easier for them to navigate. They're pretty comfortable working in their sweatpants. They're probably not the ones saying, you know, put on a suit and tie. I went to actually, (laughs) you know, I was on a news right before all this happened. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I just was going to share something about my millennial, but go ahead. Sure. I was, uh, I was on the local news right before we went into full-blown quarantine, and I said, you know, I gave some examples of how to work from home, and this Gen Xer came up to me and was like, you forgot that everyone should be getting up at 8 o'clock, putting their suit and tie on, and acting like it's work. And I was like, oh, you really don't understand millennials. They're not going to do that. They'll put, they'll put a button-up shirt on, but... The bottom right. half is sweatpants or yoga pants. And so millennials exactly. can do that flexibility piece. They're not as disrupted by it. Gen Z is just getting into the workplace, and they're still in high school. So I think it's our job as older generations to help them developmentally process this and be supportive yeah. and as present as possible for them. That's how I would go through the generations. I love that. I want to end, or so I'm curious about you. I just have to say one thing. I have a millennial. He's right at the edge, but I, as I look at the – uh, he's 23, and I think he probably is much more of a millennial than a than a zier. And he's been tutoring, and you know, to make the flip to just tutoring on Skype or Zoom was just—it was a non-issue. It wasn't even worth talking Effortless. about. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what we're doing now. No big deal, you know. But what he potentially needed from me was a little bit of my experience on how to market himself. How do I let people know that I'm tutoring? What do I do there? That wasn't as um, immediately apparent to him. Totally. So, I love again. that. Ursula, what are you yeah. seeing in terms of the strengths of different generations? Yeah, I I agree with what uh, you are both saying. Um, it uh, uh, from a you know millennials, you know, again two daughters in that in that bracket. Um, one of the things that I I am learning from them is also I mean this goes to dress and yoga pants, by the way. <laughs> this is. Not, this is this is not scientific. This is the world according to Comfort and Ursula. Um, it, what I really love about this is what I'm seeing from that generation is they are less attached about looking good. And I really love that. So my daughter was a pretty high-powered job in an interior design firm, now all remote. You know, she just shows up with her little scrunched up ponytail, no makeup, you know, in her yoga pants and, you know, shows up for the meeting. It's not, a, for them, it's not about looking good. And I think there's maybe as a boomer, maybe that's just me, that, you know, we still have to look good. And I think millennials, they can let go of that because of that flexibility. Oh, I yeah. love that because I'm like, I love the days I don't have any Zoom calls, which is a rare day these days because I'm like, I don't have to put on makeup today. Whereas, like, nobody cares. 
The other thing I want to weave into this, and this may be part of the, you know, part of what Gen Z brings, but I think it's all of the generations in their own way. And I, it's one of the things that I am absolutely loving about this is the humor, is the funny stuff, is the, yes. the two like art experts, I think they were curators who did, a, they made a little like museum for their gerbils. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I love it. Right? You know, there's some like extraordinary creativity out there and some of it is from really young people that are, you know, they're bored. And I think about how, here's maybe a blessing um, that I hadn't thought of before is that, this is so I'll speak kind of a little out of school because but it's a generation that maybe hasn't had to deal with quite as much boredom. I'm on the edge yep. of Generation X and I remember, you know, like so there's nothing to do because there weren't video games and there was I was tired of the Gilligan's Island rerun on the three channels on our black and white TV literally. And I had to walk 3 miles in the snow to go to school. But anyway, so there wasn't uh, both really, ways. right, both ways. So, you know, in terms of the pressure, like the sand in the oyster that creates the pearl, because you can only watch so much Netflix, you can only do so many video games, and at some point, your brain is going to want something else to do that is more interactive. And I think that's where we're seeing mm-hmm. the song parodies and the funny things and Noah sent me a video. They put like um, cups in their hallway to make a, a, a obstacle course for their cat who was totally uninterested. But like all of this <laughs> I think is, yeah, it was pretty funny, you know, but there's like this, what else am I going to do? That is kind of a cool thing. So I'm loving that. Yeah, I yep. agree. I think I mean, humor. so much humor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go what ahead, were you going to say? And maybe... Yeah, <laughs> Ursula. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing. I just uh, think and seeing yeah. the funny, the funny videos and and all that what people are creating right now. Yeah, go ahead, Lindsay. That's exactly it. I think humor, like you said earlier, does help us flush the other yeah. feelings as well. Helps us flush, and that you know, part of what makes humor work is that we all relate to it. And right now we're all going through this situation. So that's why it's so funny when Mm. we talk about like nobody's been worn jeans for four weeks because we all, there's a level of, you know, it's funny because we all get it. You don't even really have to explain it. And so that piece Mm -hmm. about connection, you know, staying connected, Mm -hmm. humor really does connect us in a different way because you're kind of saying through every joke, like, you know, I know we're in this, you know, you, we both get it. There is, there's that element there that's hysterical because we have this common experience. And so I think anything that we can do to feel more connected, um, I spend a lot more time with my animals right now, whatever it takes for you to feel like we all are spending a lot of time with our cats and dogs, but you know, whatever it takes for you to feel more connected to each other. Yeah. They're like, leave me alone. Why are you still here? Uh, But whatever we can do to feel more connected to each other, I think is huge right now, especially. And I think that, you know, in terms of our conversation today about the generations, there is something, you know, that you really said that is we're all in this together. And so it's not that 
it's just one generation that's experiencing it or that it's so there are some slight tweaks if you're older you may be more worried about your own health you know if you're younger Mm -hmm. you know my son's worried about graduate school in the fall is that actually going to happen in person or not he doesn't have as many financial concerns as I have we may have our own different anxieties but they're the bigger piece of it is this huge commonality and um, yeah they're like like that's this kind of isn't it interesting that we bond across the generations there's some bonding even across the world that is there is this to me there's a real sweetness to that that I'm appreciating mm-hmm. yeah yeah Exactly. Yeah, I I, I exactly. agree. We in when the future rolls around, uh, you know, eventually, <laughs> we will not have <laughs> to explain the coronavirus pandemic. It is global. Every single country is in it, um, and that I think um, is somewhat comforting because it won't need explaining. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's. Let's wrap up, and I'm just curious what, you know, Ursula, what final wor- final words do you have? Lindsay, what final words do you have um, to kind of for people to, what would you want people to take from today's conversation? Maybe that's a good question. Uh, the overriding theme is be open, be curious, don't put labels on people. We are all human beings with different strengths and different challenges, but ultimately we all want the same thing. So be open, be curious, um, and don't, you know, put a label on stuff. Mm. Mm. That's great. Lindsay, how about you? I love that. I would actually say something, even as a generational consultant, I always campaign to get rid of labels. So I love that because (laughs) more often than not, they're just reinforcing our biases, you know? And so I think that there's a real opportunity to pause, just like Ursula said, and be curious and take care of each Mm -hmm. other. You will learn more Mm -hmm. about the people closest to you right now because you're having different types of conversations with this much pressure. So I think it's um, as we all process it in our own way to give ourselves that extra minute to pause when we're working with Mm. somebody who's not our age or our experience. So just give that pause and consider, you know, that this person's going through their own thing. It's not that they're a millennial or they're a tech, you know, they Mm. don't know how to do tech because they're a boomer, but to just give pause (laughs) and give us all a minute to um, catch up because there's an awesome opportunity to collaborate. And I do believe that the companies that collaborate uh, cross-generationally will come out much stronger in the end of this, um, you know, season of COVID. Yeah, nice. Um, I think Mm. you both said a lot of what was on my mind. Um, I think the, uh, the other piece that I would even add to that uh, which <laughs> just flew out of my brain. And I don't know, there's something about having empathy for each other um, mm-hmm. in this time, which is really, I think, what you were saying, Lindsay. Um, oh, I know what it was. It's this piece about, and this is just my general advice to myself as well as everyone else, is really pay attention to what you're missing. One of the best ways to know what's important to you, and so I think in coaching a lot of times the hardest question for a client to answer is, what do you really want? Like, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And that can be a really tough question to answer. This time can give you some insight into that. If you really check in with, what am I missing? 
can mm-hmm. tell you a lot about who you are and what you want. So, you know, rather than sort of saying like, okay, we can become this, you know, touchless society and all just be in our homes. Let's actually look at what we're missing about not being with each other and what we value and maybe where this can send us in the future that is a more integrated human way rather than just technological way. Mm, so, love that. Um, Lindsay, before we wrap up, how can people reach you if they want to connect with you? Have you speak about generations, pick your brain, you know, mm-hmm. for a fee because you're a consultant and all of that. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, the way my name is spelled is if you just Google my name, you'll find my website. You'll see, um, you'll see me on LinkedIn, on Instagram. I would really encourage you to do follow us on LinkedIn. We try to put a lot of um, good content out there that's generational and workplace-based. So if you just Google my name, Lindsay Bacardo, and it's in the show notes, um, you'll be able to find me real quick. My website explains a lot of what I do too. So I just want to say a quick thank you. You both are such an inspiration for me. I shared this um, with Anne, but Ursula, I actually saw you both speak at an ICF conference and I just thought you were so articulate in your connection with each other and your friendship. And then your, the way that you um, really honor science and speak so clearly to it, but also to the art of being a human. You do both of those Mm. so well. And I'm lucky to be in your universe. I know everybody that gets to listen to your thoughts. Um, We're just so lucky to have you. So thank you for continuing through this stressful time and taking the time to continue to pour into us and help us continue Mm. to grow. It means a lot. And I just, Mm -hmm. I'm just really grateful. I got to be here with you today. Mm. Thank Thank you you. so much. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Ursula, how do, so they, how do they how do they reach us? Um, we've got a fabulous website, uh, beaboveleadership.com, um, where you can find uh, virtual online uh, programs that we also have, um, as well as uh, opportunities for um, training. Um, we have an advanced coaching program. Um, so go to our website, uh, and um, we also have a fantastic uh, YouTube channel. So again, just uh, Search Be Above Leadership, and uh, where we share just a little bit more on neuroscience um, as and our challenges on a sort of daily and weekly basis. Um, so that's how you can reach us. Um, and again, Lindsay, I just love your sense of humor and how you see uh, the world through this beautiful, uh, authentic, real, and really funny way. It was really uplifting to be with you today. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks, both of you. Everybody else, have a great day, and good luck getting through the crisis. Bye, everybody. Yes, and thanks. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Lindsay. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.